Jeff, it is another Thursday. We're a little late on this one. It's been a long week. I'm like 99% sure I got COVID being just out and about on the town. I don't know. I guess COVID is maybe it's running wild in Arizona the same way it is up in your neck of the woods. But, you know, I I'm 99% sure I got the vid. My head has been killing me all this week. So we had to push it off till today till I was the brain fog was lifted enough. Mm-hmm. But I want my brain fog back after you dropped this article on me. Well, today. it's an important one. What? First and foremost, I think this is the headline of the year. It has to be. It has to be the headline of the year. Rolling Stone. Here's the headline. Let the green M&M be a nasty little slut. Okay. Okay. I, I like I, it. I don't. And I then don't there's even a paywall, so I didn't read any beyond that. I just saw the headline, said headline of the year. But then my curiosity got the best of me. And I got a question for you, Garrett. When you think of inclusivity and when you think of making sure that everybody is taken care of, that everybody is accounted for, the first group of things you think about is the m&ms right definitely of course i mean everybody when i think of discrimination i immediately go m&ms and then all of minorities over time m&ms though is always number one and so it makes sense that the m&ms actual people do not matter but fake candy characters correct how to make sure we take care of them yep so it makes sense that the m&ms would be the tip of the spear in making sure that people feel included. If you can't sense the layer of sarcasm here, then I think you're listening to the wrong show. This is ridiculous. Not ridiculous because of like, how do you have to do this? We're not not banging that drum. Like if you wanna go woke, that's fine. If you wanna be inclusive, great. We encourage that. If you don't, okay, you're a dick, but that's your own prerogative. So go be a dick. We don't care what you do. But this is just insane. So M&Ms, the M&M characters, there's six of them, right? There is our favorites, the classic, the red and yellow M&Ms. There's the uh, very anxious, scared, cautious orange M&M. There's the kind of know-it-all-y blue M&M. Then the ladies, the brown M&M and the green M&M, which are apparently lesbians. I did not know that, but there was a tweet in 2015. That was our little teaser of, of these fine M&M ladies and apparently they are lesbians the tweet was a picture of the two of them on the beach back in 2015 and green M&M has her hand on the upper thigh of red M&M or of a brown M&M and then brown M&M is holding her hand and it says it's rare Ms. Brown and I get to spend time together without some colorful characters barging in Apparently that was our first little clue. And I, I think now we're going to see a little bit more romantic affair from our favorite candies. So whatever. I'm sure there's some like weird fan fiction out there that people are going to be into this. And that's, you know, that that's you. If that's you, great. What's weird is there's even more. So it's like the orange M&M apparently suffers from anxiety uh-huh. and will embrace his true self worries and all. Well, let and- me show you. How, one way that they've done that previously the orange m&m's shoes were untied i never noticed but apparently they were now 
the orange character or the orange M&M, his shoes are going to be tied. And that signifies that he is cautious. He wouldn't walk around without tied shoes. He would tie his shoes. The biggest change, though, the biggest change is the green M&M. First, they have taken away her knee-high boots. They are gone. The high heel boots, no longer a thing. It looks like she is wearing a pair of Adidas classic shoes. Also, they took away her legs and her arms and all of their arms. There's no longer a flesh color. They used to be, I guess, white. They had white arms and white legs. Not white, but like flesh white, like white people white. Now they have literal white limbs. So our candies, we, we, they're no longer white person candy, which I guess okay. is more inclusive. But there is no doubt about it that the green M&M is significantly less hot. The green M&M looks like somebody now that you would probably bring home to mom and dad. But the green M&M before is somebody that you don't want mom and dad to find out about, but you're like secretly super pumped about going and, and hanging out with her and, and, you know, maybe getting some from that green M&M that's gone now. Now she's like the girl that you want to bring home to your parents. There's no more boots. She's just wearing sneakers. She's wearing, you know, gloves, long sleeves. I would Rolling Stone. Let her be a nasty little slut. She's an M&M for crying out loud. So, well, apparently what, they're swingers if she is saying that the, some other characters barge in, or does that just mean they like to dress up? I don't know. I don't know. But, I don't but know. there is, uh, you said that the Rolling Stone article was paywalled. Was that what you is said? Is yours not? Well, I have an extension on my browser that removes paywalls for oh, me, okay. so I could read little, it. And I little genius you. Thank you for not calling me a nasty little slut. <laughs> the, I am flabbergasted at the content of this article. I posted one of the paragraphs in the Discord uh, and when we we're talking about it, it. The language is too NSFW for this podcast. So I will not be sharing it on here, but there is, I do not want to know what, who's this author, EJ Dixon. Whatever EJ Dixon, uh, she has some issues that she needs to work through because this is not normal to write about candy. But whoa, but I agree. I'm reading <laughs> this paragraph. I agree. And I don't think it's too not safe for work. I'll edit out the words, but I'm reading this paragraph. The green MM has spent decades building her brand as a horny, sexy B word. And for what? For her creators to give her Larry David footwear in the name of feminism? For Mars Wrigley to give themselves pats on the back and big fat effing raises at the next corporate retreat in Palo Alto? Guess what? Eminem is a feminist, or the green Eminem is a feminist and she's a dirty slut. We are real and we exist and we refuse to tolerate this disgusting attempt at erasure. We are given so little and we have tolerated so much. Let the green M&M keep her go-go boots. <laughs> you better edit this one. <laughs> uh, yep. This is what we want. This is what we deserve. This is what she deserves. So let me read the paragraph above this, and then we will move into actual content because this is a... For those familiar with the iconography of the green M&M, 
This change is nothing more than tectonic. I imagine it's similar to how the people of Wittenberg must have felt watching Martin Luther nail his 95 theses of the Protestant Reformation to the church door. But it is also a major error on Mars Wrigley Park because the green M&M being a dirty slut as signified by her iconic white go-go boots is precisely what has engendered her a devoted fan base, particularly among similarly libidinous women and gay men who have embraced the character consider for instance this ad where she does erotic asmr for no reason other than to give the male m&ms a massive boner Amen. <laughs> the impact her performance let's, has can we or should we attempt to put a cap on such vir- virulent untrammeled female sexuality can you ah. stop the wind from blowing can you prevent a dog from vomiting after eating too much cheese can you keep ah. twitter libs from being self-righteous about adhering to COVID protocols? No, you cannot. Amen. Oh my gosh, this has my full support. The green M&M, her entire persona, everything she has worked so hard to create has been formed with those white go-go boots, the stiletto boots. Let her be a nasty little slut. This is a travesty. I'm offended. I'm absolutely offended. My wife just walked in. I think she's a little bit confused as she walks into the home studio and we're talking about slutty m ms hit you on the back of the head yet. Well, so. she'll agree. You know, let girls be girls. Whatever they want to be, that is feminism. And I, I am appalled. But at any rate, the, the M&Ms are getting a makeover. All of them kind of get dorkier looking shoes. They, you know, we'll see what happens. But I don't like it. I think it's it's very poor judgment by Mars Wrigley. I do have good news. Not M&M news, but I have good news. Is this about your newfound fame? Uh, I wouldn't call it fame, but I, it is potentially about my newfound family doctor. If those are the first same three letters, so <laughs> that's kind of let's the go same. with it. My wife fell down the stairs. Speaking of my wife who just walked in, she fell down the stairs this this week. We have a really long stairway. I think there's 17 stairs. Like it's, it's a pretty long flight of stairs, right? And I don't know what stairs she fell down, but she slipped on the carpet, fell down, and apparently dislocated her shoulder. We didn't know that it was dislocated. She felt a pop. We felt another pop. We, we were nervous about it. So we took her uh, to the Tanner Clinic by our house, sort of by our house. And, and we decided we would get her checked out, get some x-rays, make sure nothing was broken, just be a little bit cautious about it. While we were there, we met Dr. Bledsoe, who was phenomenal, by the way, absolutely phenomenal uh, in taking care of Jess, making sure that she had everything that she needed. In fact, uh, he didn't have to do this, but he called back today to make sure that she was doing okay, recommended some physical therapy. Absolutely great. Could not be more impressed with Dr. Bledsoe. But the story is not about Jessica's shoulder. The story is about Dr. Bledsoe recognizing my voice behind the mask and saying, are you Jeff Hansen? A loyal, give them hell, Brigham listener is Dr. Bledsoe. Absolutely loved it. So it's always good to meet fans of the show. Sometimes I feel sometimes I feel like we are talking into a void that nobody's actually listening to us except for us. So it feels good to get that recognition that, hey, no, our voices are being heard, and we are spreading the good word of BYU athletics to the world, and the world is actually listening. It feels good when that happens. 
You know, I have had a couple of times where people have like walked up to me, you know, and said, Hey, are you so-and-so? And it, it weirds me out. Mm. Like, I, I don't, I don't like it when that happens, but I, I mean, is he going to give you a discount? Like, are you going to get to like, did well, he give you his number? So you could just like he, text him if you have issues without needing to go through your insurance or anything. Well, he, <laughs> I, I don't know about that. I don't know how much control Dr. Bledsoe has over the billing of the entire clinic. Oh, he probably has his own concierge LLC. Most doctors do. I feel like you're putting him on the spot here. Dr. Bledsoe. You are our now private medicine, medical practitioner of GHB. That's a big responsibility. We get hurt a lot. Uh, no, I was very impressed with the service. I loved it. Uh, I think we are. Jessica did not have a family doctor. Like, I think a lot of millennials, like, do you have a family doctor that you go to? No, I don't think no. so. Uh, but I think Jessica is going to make him her family doctor, her primary care physician. Um, I'll probably switch myself. I have a primary care physician to help with my mentals and I, I'm more than happy to switch. Dr. Bledsoe is phenomenal, big BYU fan. And, and who would you trust more with your health than somebody who went to the to Brigham Young University? This is true. I mean, it, it's easy. There's big news this week, actual sports news, actual news, Jackson dart. Set foot on campus. Wait, that is a friend of the show, Jackson Dart. That is friend of the show. Jackson he's been Dart. on the show. People like he's big time now. We had him at our humble little podcast all those years ago. Well, was was that on? A, well, that was an interview on twenty four seven. Was that? I don't think that we is. Ever got, no, that was. Think, well, you couldn't. It was. A, it was an interview for this show, but for whatever reason, you were tied up. So I interviewed him one on one. But it was for this podcast. Oh, I'm yeah. like that was so long ago I forgot. It was many, many moons ago. But Jackson Jeff Dart, is the OG of the founder of the Jackson Dart Fan Club. Whenever everyone else, you know, when Corner Canyon played Bingham on ESPN, Jackson Dart was just a young whippersnapper who only had offers from BYU and the Louisiana Raging Cajuns, and. About a week later, he had every single team in the country calling him because he lit it up. He was the like Max Preps National Player of the Year, uh-huh. completely dominated. He unseated three-year starter Heisman candidate Keaton Slovis from being the starting quarterback at USC. And I mean, we are all fans of the Jackson Dart Fan Club. And if you, I just want I put I shared this yesterday on the Discord, and I want to reiterate this here today. If you do not want Jackson Dart to come to BYU because you are worried that it might rock the boat with the other quarterbacks, or you think, oh, well, we already, like, what if it makes Jacob Conover transfer? Or what about Cade Finnegan or Saljay Mayava Peters? Or how is Jaron Hall going to feel if he just started this year and then we bring another quarterback? Press stop right now. Mm-hmm. Go into whatever podcast app you use and unsubscribe. If you subscribe to the newsletter, reach out to us. I will refund you every penny you have ever given mm-hmm. because that is the worst possible take I have ever heard in the history of BYU sports. Because you were soft. That's the problem. And we're going to talk a little bit more. I mean, let's get into it now, right? I mean, we have on our agenda football philosophy, and this is part of it. The philosophy of the transfer portal. I went on 1280. They had me on their show today, uh, The whatever they're calling it, the unrivaled show with Alex Carey and uh, Scott Mitchell. Good show. Great show. They asked me a question of 
kind of my thoughts on the transfer portal at large. And here's what I thought. So the transfer portal was stop me when you disagree, because I'm taking some liberties and making an assumption that we all assume things. So if you disagree, feel free to jump in and stop. The transfer portal was created because of players who were vocally upset that when they wanted to transfer out of a program, they had to sit. So the transfer portal was formed to make transferring easier so that coaches couldn't prohibit who they did and did not transfer to. And then they advocated and advocated for the transfer waiver that allowed them to transfer without punishment, without needing to sit out for a year. Is that fair? That's the genesis of the transfer portal. Yeah. Now, how it went down. why would we expect teams not to adjust to that? Why would, why would we think that only players are going to take advantage of the transfer portal? That's asinine. Of course, teams are going to adjust and take advantage of the transfer portal. What does that mean? That means that promises when you were in high school about, hey, you're going to be our guy, they go away as quick as somebody else transfers into the program. That's gone. And that is the nature of what players wanted. Players wanted this freedom of ability to move to in anywhere they wanted to whenever they wanted to. Well, now schools can add players from anywhere they want to anytime they want to. This is going to happen nonstop. Welcome to the new era of college football. If you don't like it, I, sorry, but this it's not going anywhere. No, it's so, not going anywhere, and it's not like it will happen constantly because you get one transfer which is what it always should have been because it's, oh, a coach can text his whole team at 2 a.m. on Thanksgiving weekend and say, hey, peace out, I'm leaving. But up until this year, if you ever wanted to leave, you had to wait a year. You had to, you know, you had to wait a year. You had to sit out. You Maybe you already redshirted, so you're going to lose a year of eligibility. It's like everyone could just dip. No, right. no questions asked. Go make your millions. And now that players, they say, hey, you know what? Maybe what you think is really important as a 16 or 17 year old kid in high school, once you get to college and are away from home for a year, you realize that you actually want something different, but you are still held to a four year window in which you can play. Huh, maybe we shouldn't lock you in forever and punish you permanently yeah. for that decision you made as a 17 year old. Yeah. You know, is if you are against that, then that is asinine, right? Like there's no reason you know, for you to feel that way. It is insane. You know, and it's yes. NIL is a game changer, right? And it's, you can say, Oh, well, there's, you know, there's the rumors that came from an Oklahoma board of message board of like a Texas A&M is paying $30 million. Maybe they are, maybe they aren't, who cares, right? There's still only a hand that's a handful of teams will be able to do that. And it's not everybody like it's, there's only a handful of programs. If they are throwing around that much money that could actually legitimately throw around that much money. And the bulk of college football is still just going to stay the same. It's going to stay the same. And it's been happening. Like it has been happening. All of these, you know, Darren Ravel and all of these people that are just chomping at the bit to publicly voice their displeasure about NLI and it's the wild, wild West. Like, hello guys. Do we not remember like SMU got the death penalty for all of their recruiting violations like 40 years ago. That was a long, that was a long time ago. This has been going on forever. The only thing that changes with NIL is that it's now done publicly, but this isn't any different. Now there's different ways, I guess, to get, to get money into the hands of a player, but 
there's always been money going into the hands of players. Like, so let's, let's just calm down about all of this. And players are going to move. Players are going to move. Teams are going to add players. So BYU fans, get used to this. You've seen it already. Now, what I find so interesting is that quarterbacks are seemingly being treated different right now by, by fans because nobody gave two shits about Kingsley Suamataia coming in. And quite frankly, Harris Lachance was the starter. Campbell Barrington ended up being a freshman All-American. And Braden Kime showed well enough as a walk-on that they immediately gave him a scholarship. Like, those three guys have shown way more on the field than the combined uh, Jaron Hall, Jacob Conover, and Cade Finnegan. Like, Jaron Hall's proven, but those other two, like, what, have 10 career passes, 15 career passes between them, and, and half of those came at Boise State? Like, the right tackles have proven a lot, but nobody even batted an eye at the idea of adding Kingsley. Of course you're going to go add Kingsley. Uh, Keanu Hill had been working incredibly hard. Braden Cosper had been working incredibly hard. Cody Epps was trying to get back from, from injury. Those are three talented guys that they had the apple. They were the apple of the coach's eye at one point in fall camp. Like all of them had received individual praise, had been singled out by the coaching staff at some point during camp, all three of them. But when Puka Nakua was available, nobody thought twice about adding Puka Nakua. Why? Because it's Puka Nakua. Because it's Kingsley. You don't say, well, what about the psyche? You might lose Braden Kime. Harris Lachance, he could go. Yeah, he could. But you have Kingsley Suamataia. So even if they leave, you're still net positive. And that could still happen with any recruiting any year, right? Like just any. because, oh, well, we've got a, a guy who's a sophomore who's starting now. So does that mean you're not going to go out and get a freshman in your right. next recruiting class who might it's take insanity. a year or two to develop? Like you're always, always need to raise the floor of the talent in your program. The reason that Alabama and Georgia are so good is not just, it is, it is not because they're too deep is full of five-star and four-star guys. It's because most of the three and the four deep are also that like their scout team, right? The guys on our scout team are walk-ons like Sam Hinckley from Olympus high school. That's not a real person. That is a meme character that we've come up of like just the most generic Utah. This is some five, nine wide receiver who looks like Wes Welker that runs a four, eight 40, but doesn't drop anything. Right. That is, you know, those are our walk-ons yeah. and, or, you know, who's rounding out the scout team. But if you go against better players in practice, that makes you a better player. Like the competition yeah. is not just between who's going to start. It's who are you going head to head with every single day in practice. And part of the reason that depth matters is because it's not just like, yes, the depth matters because if you have a guy go down, that means whoever is stepping in to fill the hole is better. But that also means that that better person is making your starter get better every single day in practice. Every There's day. a lot of teams that are stagnant because they're starters. It's hard for them to improve because they never get challenged. Like if so, there's nobody who can hang with you, what do you do in practice to get better? If you like, if you and I are out there trying to run one-on-ones and like, we're trying to cover Puka Nakua, how does that help Puka Nakua get better? 
Right. And he does it like we would fall over and trip ourselves three yards into the stem of his route before we even turn our hips. We'd be face first in the dirt and he doesn't have to try. So he would never, ever get better. Like right. if you want a great receiver, an elite receiver, you need good corners cut trying to cover them. And if you want, because it forces the receiver to get better and that forces the corner to get better and you need battles every single day. And so you always have to be adding more talent. Always. You have to. And, and, and here's where it's important. Adding talent only gets dicey and messes with the culture. If you're inconsistent, Lane Kiffin is going to make promises to Jackson Dart. He is going to promise him a starting job. He will look him dead in the eye, whether he means it or not. Time will tell. He will look him dead in the eye and say, Hey, you're my guy. You're going to be QB one. He will. I, I have no doubt. He probably already has. He's supposed to visit him tonight. If he hasn't yet, he will tonight. I promise that's going to happen. Kalani has been consistent. He's going to add talent. He needs to add talent. His coaches need to constantly be getting as much talent as they can. That like everybody agrees with that. But if there is a more talented player that was not highly touted, that has earned playing time, then he better play. And what Kalani has done is kind of like what we saw from Kirby Smart, right? Kalani has proven that that guy will play. Kirby Smart had Stetson Bennett on his roster twice, right? Like Stetson was there, then he left, then he came back. Stetson Bennett is not anywhere near the recruit that Justin Fields was, that Jake Fromm was, that JT Daniels was, that Jamie Newman was, that any of the quarterbacks on Georgia's roster was. But day in and day out, when Stetson Bennett had the opportunity to play, he balled out. And so Kirby Smart didn't care how many stars those other guys had. He gave the job to Stetson Bennett. Now, JT Daniels left. Justin Fields left. Justin Fields left and went on and was great, right? He was great at Ohio State. But Georgia just won the national championship with Stetson Bennett. So are they really going to lament the loss of Justin Field? No. Jake Fromm, like Jake Fromm didn't end up having the same type of career that Justin Fields did. But Jake Fromm got them to the title game, right? Like that's the thing is as long as you're adding talent and you are consistently keeping that, that competition open to everybody and you truly are keeping it open to everybody, then you are going to have a culture that is very, very positive. So here's how I'd handle Jackson Dart on my football philosophy. Here's how, if I'm Kalani, this is what I'm doing. Jackson, I can't promise you that you're going to be QB1. If he wants to be promised, then he, then he better go to Ole Miss. I'm not going to promise you that you're going to be QB1, but here's the promise I will make. Jaron Hall also isn't QB1, right? Jacob Conover also isn't QB1. I can promise you that. I can promise you that all three of you guys are going to have a chance to go out and play. And all three of you guys, prove me, prove me right, prove me wrong, prove yourself, right, whatever. If there is one player who deserves to play ahead of the other two, that's who's going to play, no matter who it is. It might be Sol J. Mayaba, right? It, it could be. It, it could be Rhett Riley, the walk-on quarterback. If that's the one who shows that he's the he deserves to be the guy, then he's the guy. That's the promise I would make. I can't promise you QB1, Jax, but I can promise you that nobody else is either. Until we hit fall camp and I need to have a depth chart, this competition is open. And I think Kalani can do that. He did it with Zach Wilson. We talked on this show two years ago 
we knew everybody who was in around even sort of adjacent to the BYU program going into that 2020 season knew that Zach Wilson was the most talented quarterback in that room. All due respect to Jaron Hall, every single person knew that Zach Wilson was the best guy. But it was an open competition up until it wasn't. And that's what I would do. And, and so as we talk about the recruiting philosophy, or the, I guess the football philosophy, each individual component has its own, like you got to come up with your philosophy. How are you going to handle the transfer portal? There are some schools that go all out. Like we've seen at Utah, any big name that hits the portal, Utah's involved. It paid off this year. Cam Rising took him to a Rose Bowl. Tavion Thomas came from LSU. He's turned out to be pretty darn good. It's also bit them in the ass. Like Charlie Brewer sucked. Jake Bentley wasn't any better. But like Utah has proven that that's going to be a huge part of how they manage their roster. I still don't know if we've seen what BYU is going to do. Like we've seen that they'll go and attack specific players, but I don't know that we have seen really what this is going to be. And I think Jackson Dart is kind of the first example of what the plan might be. Puka reached out to BYU and said, I want to come back. Kingsley reached out to BYU and said, I want to come home. Jackson Dart, BYU had to go out and get him. And they didn't have a readily apparent need to go and get him. They had these guys on the roster, but they went out and they're going to try to get him. And that might be an indication to the rest of us, to all of us of how BYU is going to use the transfer portal going forward and what their philosophy is. And I kind of dig it. I I like using the portal. If it's going to be there, use it and go get five-star guys like Jackson Dart. And just go get the best that you can be. And if you, as long as you don't screw over, Right. As long as you don't screw over any of those guys where you tell the, you know, you lie to them, it's players a lot of times. And that's Kalani's biggest calling card as a recruiter is that he is honest and every player knows where they stand and he's not going to sugarcoat it. He's not going to tell you that you're going to be a starter. And you've seen, you know, guys like, you know, you've seen, Pukanua Nakua come in and be the five-star receiver who comes in and plays right away and start, immediately starts getting playing time. And you've also seen Dax Milne, the walk-on, who comes in and is a starter as a true freshman as a walk-on. The staff does not care who it is, where you came from. The best Some, person is going to play. Sometimes to our chagrin, right? Like we complain when there's walk-ons playing on defense. Sometimes they, they don't care seemingly to a fault. But in this context, I think it's a huge selling point. Like BYU will play you if they feel like you are, are worthy of playing. And that's, that's the message I hope that is being delivered to is being delivered to Jackson dart guys. I love Jackson dart. I'm here to tell you if Jackson dart were to commit to BYU on Saturday, that's what we know, by the way, he did tell reportedly reportedly, I guess I'm the reporter. So what do I say? Uh, According to my sources, he has told BYU that he plans to make take a couple of days, the rest of this week, decide, and then make an announcement sometime in the time frame of this weekend, Saturday, Sunday, maybe early part of next week. If, if he gets to Sunday, he says, BYU, I am here to tell you, Jackson Dart will be the most talented quarterback in the, in the room, day one. Now, that does not mean he is the best quarterback. It correct. Means he is the most talented quarterback. There is more to being a quarterback than talent. Absolutely. Now, people have kind of like looked at me side-eyed when I've said this, but I it, it goes to exactly to what you just said. 
if Jackson Dart were to pick BYU on Sunday, I would make the case that he is the most talented quarterback in BYU history on day one. That dude wakes up, rolls out of bed, and he has the talent of an elite quarterback. Zach Wilson was an elite quarterback, right? But Zach had to work hard. Now, that doesn't to say that Jackson didn't work hard. He, he, of course he works hard. Zach built his talent. And now he's a super talented guy. Jackson Dart just rolls out of bed, and he is already elite size. His arm is not something that any, you could just teach, right? His arm is unbelievable. Like, he could stand on the goal line, and I, I think he could throw 75 yards today without even really thinking twice about it. Like, that's just natural, God-given ability. And I, I really believe, I mean, we're, we're going back into history, more than, than Steve Young, who had to learn how to throw a football and work, and they, the coaches didn't even want him to be a guy, right? Didn't even want him to be a quarterback. More than Jim McMahon, who uh, he was benched at one point for, for an upperclassman, right? Like, I, I think Jackson Dart would have the most raw talent of any quarterback in BYU history. That is a bold statement, and I think I agree with you. I mean, people can tell me that I'm wrong. If you want to disagree with me, go ahead and try. But uh, I don't think that you're going to be able to prove me wrong. Here's the thing I like most about Jax. I went and watched some more of his USC highlights today. His ability to deliver just BBs down the field while getting walloped by a defender is uncanny. Like his pocket presence, like he's good at moving around the pocket, but his, like, I guess, I mean, I don't know what it is, courage, toughness to just stand there and take a hit and deliver a dart, no pun intended, a dart to his receiver is like something we haven't seen at BYU maybe ever with all of the greatness. And there has been greatness with all of the greatness at BYU, the ability to just stand there, take a hit and deliver a seed 65 yards downfield. Jackson Dart has that. Now he still has to work on the mental, like you said, right? Like there's more to being a quarterback than talent. Jake keeps had talent. Didn't work out. Ben Olson, crazy talented. Didn't really always pan out on the field. There's more to being a quarterback than talent. Ty Detmer didn't have like crazy amounts of talent, but he was super smart and understood things. So, so Ty Detmer turned out to be pretty darn good. Right. So there's more to being a quarterback of talent. There's the ability to read the defense. There's the leadership component. There's, you know, luck of being able to stay healthy and not getting injured and all of that stuff. Everything plays a role. So there, there's more to being a quarterback than just talent. And Jack still has to work on that stuff. But from a talent standpoint, he would be the most talented quarterback on day one, as soon as he stepped foot on campus. And I, Jaron Hall, we talked about it just two weeks ago. I think Jaron Hall's an NFL guy. I think there's an argument that he's a first round guy. I don't think he'd go in the first round because he's old, but that's the he kind could of play his way into there. Yeah. Jackson darts more talented. And it's the same, like, that's not a slight, right? Like at some point when Nick Saban was looking at a quarterback room of Mac Jones and, and Jalen hurts and Tua Tagovailoa, he had to decide which one was his guy, which one was the best. And he, you know, he made his decision. Ironically enough Tua Tagovailoa is the one he picked and it's looking like he's going to be the worst pro. But for Alabama, for that team, he was the best quarterback for that team. So there's a lot of weird elements that go into it. But from a talent standpoint, Jackson Dart has every tool that you would want. And, and I, would, I would put all of my chips on the Jackson Dart horse. 
mean, I can't disagree with anything that you said. It's you, you could, he's one of, he's the rare case of a player that when they just step out onto the field, it's palpable. Like he doesn't even have to touch the ball, but he just walks onto the field and you know. Yeah. Yep. If I keep talking about him, I'm going to have to shower. <laughs> talking about talking about all that talent, man. We gotta we gotta move on, I think. But I that's the big news. There's there's other news that we've seen some offers come out this week. Yeah, I'm let's talk about Dom Henry for a second. Uh he led the state of Florida in receiving yards. He his only offers right now are from Air Force and well BYU and Air Force and Army, uh, because he's a smaller guy. He's like five nine, buck seventy. Um but he can scoot and he was very, very productive. Right. And so if you're going to, if you're going to take a flyer on somebody, take on somebody who is a great raw athlete and who put up insane numbers, right? Like don't take the total project, take the person who's like, well, they're, they're undersized, but they produced that ultimately is what is going to pan out more often than, well, they have a frame, but they couldn't ever put it quite together and figure out how to play football. But we think we can get it done. We'll, Mm -hmm. we'll teach them and get them to figure it out. That's not going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. Dom Henry. uh, He's coming next week. Did we, did we talk about that already that he, I mean, he's, I think we did. Yes. That he is uh, is scheduled to be on a visit this, this next weekend, not, Saturday, a week from Saturday, 27th or something. Yep. So this, he this played in a, at a 7A school in Florida and had Big time. 118 or he had 80 some odd catches from 1500 yards and 16 touchdowns. So his his story is cool. I talked to him a little bit this morning. Uh, his high school coach deserves a medal. So his high school coach went to the coaches convention in San Antonio last week, two weeks ago, whenever that was. All of BYU's coaches were there. His high school coach like could have been there just like trying to network himself, trying to get a college job, trying to do whatever. Now his college coach was out there hustling, trying to put Dom Henry's film in the face of college coaches. That's how Fessy found him. He met his high school coach at the conference and he said, look, man, you have to watch this kid. Just please. I know you're busy. Give me 10 minutes. Here's his highlights. He watched him. Fessy loved it check the measurables, check some of the game tape, not just the highlight tape. Loved it. And here we are. He's got an offer now. That coach, dude, that's that's the kind of coach you want in your corner. Like, yeah, that, that's, that's the kind of coach stop. that every parent wants their kid to play for, who's yeah. going to not stop and try to get them. And really even, you know, if you get them, you can almost tell a lot of good coaches by the number of D2 or D3 guys that they yeah. put out. Because yeah. it's like, are they, you know, a lot of times it's like, oh, well, if you have, you know, a kid who's going to go play at an FBS school, then you do that. But it's like, is the coach willing? If a kid says, no, I want to play, will they spam literally everybody they can and tap it just to try to find every single kid who wants a shot to play at the next level of spot to play? And that's what their coach did. And that's what he is. And I mean, if you go, you watch Dom's film, it is. The, the speed's real. The like, speed is no real. Question. He, he can scoot. A couple of more offers went out too, uh, to guys that are similar to, to Dom Henry. Um, BYU offered a, well, I, I guess they haven't offered. By the time you have listened to this podcast, here you go, a little bit of uh, inside information from the mouth of, of Corbin Green himself. 
Corbett Green is ex- is, is going to have a visit today with Elisa Tuiaki and I think Gennaro Guilford. And, and the expectation is that an offer will go out tonight. So that hasn't happened yet. If you're an early listener, you may not have an offer public yet, but it sounds like an offer is coming. If you're listening to this on Friday, then an offer has probably been made public. But similar guy, not as fast as, uh, as Dom Henry, but he is slated to play defense. Right in an 11-second 100 guy, he's probably going to get a little bit faster. Great size, 6'1". He's the kind of project that you want. Uh, I talked to Corbin a little bit earlier today. He had an offer from Baylor, but when Coach McGuire left Baylor to take the head coaching job at Texas Tech, they already had a whole mess of corners, didn't have room for Corbin, so that offer did not move with him to Texas Tech, and the new Baylor DC hasn't called him, given him the time of day. BYU could potentially swoop in and get a steal here. Um, Corbin Green, I, I like BYU's chances. Another offer that went out to Roman Rashada, junior college uh, defensive back, has an offer from Washington. BYU's trying hard to bring him in for that same visit next week. Uh, if they can get him in, I think that's another guy that's probably going to. Uh, I would like BYU's chances at a commitment. And then uh, Carson Tuje got an offer. Carson Tuje, son of. Garrett Tujay, former BYU offensive line coach, current Virginia offensive line coach, uh, kind of a hybrid guy. I think in the old days, he's a traditional linebacker, but I think in the current era of college football, I think he's like 225 right now, 6'2", 225. I think he probably plays at like 240, and he plays that hybrid role. I like him. Of all of the offers that, that Coach Hadley gave out this year, Carson Tujay is the one that I'm the most high on. I think that's uh, appealing. It's really weird to me that it took this long for him to get offered. I, I mean, I guess they just kind of assumed that he was going to get a Virginia offer, go play at Virginia and do whatever. And maybe that's why, but I mean, the kid, he's a good athlete. I mean, he did play both ways. He played tight end and linebacker in high school. Uh, he's got a good frame. He is better than some of the other people that we've seen Preston Hadley offer this year. And it's, uh, yeah. he's much less of a project. He it's always good when a kid is a coach's son because they just are generally a better student of the game and are around things more and just yeah. understand the grind that goes into playing college football. And so they either, you know, just quit and they're like, I don't want to do this because I know what's involved and that's totally fine. Or if they go do it, then they're all in because yeah. they know what it takes and they're a hundred and they're all in. And so I think it is. I, I really like the 2J offer. I do too. I think he's, I think he's going to be a player. Um, I mean, why I, I've had that question asked a few times, why, why didn't he get offered sooner? And why hasn't Virginia offered one? We don't know if Virginia did or didn't quite frankly. I mean, he didn't tweet anything out, but I, I think Virginia probably would have, I am, uh, I haven't confirmed this, but I'm like 95% sure he's a mission guy. And I don't think you're going to see very many missionaries at Virginia going forward. So why hasn't Virginia offered now? Well, most coaches don't want to deal with missionaries, even for a coach's kid. So this could be, I mean, there's a very real world, a real, a real timeline where Carson 2J, this is you know the last few weeks after his dad's situation was sorted out at Virginia, where this is the first time that he's actually been open. He, he could have been a subtle, silent going to be added to Virginia. They're not going to give him a scholarship because he's going on a mission, but there's that handshake agreement with Bronco like Bronco did so often that could have been there. And now he's just for the first time 
trying to be recruited because, oh, crap, this isn't going to happen in Virginia anymore. Right. So I'm not real worried about the late offer. I'm not worried about any of that stuff. I, I think he's going to be I think he's going to be a player. So kind of fun to see some some late activity with uh, with BYU. It's so tough. These late offers are really tough. I was talking with Gabe Brooks. He's the 24-7 sports. He's basically the uh, Greg Biggins of the Midwest, covers Texas, Oklahoma, Arkansas, you know, all that area, kind of the, the southern Midwest area. And uh, Gabe was telling me, he's like, dude, it's just so tough to evaluate these late offer guys that pop up on, you know, onto the radar right before signing day. Because some of them, you know, Zach Wilson was kind of like that, not quite, but kind of, you know, really blew up late. Some guys blow up like Zach, right? They, they get the attention late in the cycle. They just fell through the cracks and, hey, the industry missed them. Others are, they're just athletes and schools are taking flyers to check, you know, to fill numbers. And so it's tough to evaluate, okay, what's real and what was something that we missed. Um, but it's kind of, I don't know, it's intriguing to see some of these guys. Like Dom Henry seems like a, a guy well, I mean, the easy comparison is Cody Epps that, that fell through the cracks a little bit. But if you look at, you know, what Epps has done in his two years at BYU, it's not much. So maybe the industry got that one right, or the coaches, I should say, got that one right by not jumping and going all in and offering him early on. Maybe maybe he isn't the player that we hoped he would be. Dom Henry sure seems like he's got the skills to be a, a very good player. So at any rate, it's interesting and makes for a fun couple of weeks i mean none of these guys are, are make or break for the class but it does give us some storylines to follow for the next couple of weeks until till national signing day it doesn't i don't even know how with missions it's so hard to track how many even spots we have left and i don't know i mean some of these guys and maybe there's some guys that are going on a mission right now that you push and say uh well you can walk on when you get back but sorry yeah that's the way it played out um and you have to do that and it sucks sometimes but um i i do like the offers that went out today i think all of them add to the depth and help improve things in the program jeff it has been a good episode uh i don't know i, I i'm not a big m&m guy so no, i don't no. I, i'm not I, I wasn't buying m&ms before so i'm not gonna buy any now but out of principle i will continue to protest m&ms Hey man, don't buy the green ones. The green bag, I think, is the crispy M and M's. Those are bad. They're not good, anyways. So just don't buy them. The, but that can be our silent protest. The biggest disappointment to me was the pretzel M and M's. Have you tried those? Yeah, they weren't very good. It was like I th- I was so excited, and then the pretzel. It was like it was just like a stale pretzel. It was yep. weird. The texture was not at all what I expected. Um, yeah. But Jeff, it has been a great episode. Uh, hit us up join come join us on the discord if you haven't yet go sign up for the newsletter give them helpbergham.com share this with your friends and and leave us a leave us a review we haven't asked for reviews in a while we have not stagnant we have not begged and pleaded for reviews in a while we're begging and pleading once again please leave us a review please leave us a review and until next time jeff give them hell give them hell